Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Well, we have Tom Brickman here with me tonight. This is kind of a treat because, Tom, you're one of my first guests that I've tracked down via Twitter. As as my followers continue to grow there, uh, sometimes things get pointed out to me. And uh, Tom Brickman is... You can follow him on Twitter as well, and it's at the Frugal Gay Eleven. And I'm going to make sure to put that link in the show notes. But Tom has a, a great website as well, so look over for thefrugalgay.com. We'll make sure to have those links in the show notes as well. So swipe over on your podcasting app and, and find those clickable links. But I really uh, appreciate your time, Tom. As we tackle your thread that you've pinned to, to your to your Twitter page and it's on how do you became a millionaire at 31 and it says these strategies are used to accelerate wealth growth while working at a movie theater on average and earning about 55,000 a year. So this is this I'm really excited about this. This is going to be a great conversation. Definitely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, well, Tom, I, I got to start things off, but you, you started at a relatively young age when you got into real estate investing, you even mentioned it while you were in college at such a young age, I, I got to ask you, like, how did you traverse and find your way when it came to real estate investing? I, my father in second or third grade bought a rental property. We did not have a lot of extra money. He was a police officer, but um, that seed was planted at second and third grade and we'd go pick up rent over there. And I was 21. I was working at the Gap. I was making 8.50 an hour, and I didn't want to keep paying rent. And that was the driver behind it. I was a senior in college, and I bought a multifamily. I bought a, a $90,000 multifamily. I lived in the ugly upstairs. Um, I rented out the the nice downstairs, which is exactly what I did not want to do. I wanted to live in the nice one and rent out the ugly one. But my dad's like, "No, you're going to get more money this way." So uh, at the time, we rented it for 600 bucks. My house payment was $738, and I didn't know anywhere I could live for $138. So that was the the motive, definitely, early on with uh, real estate. Yeah. Man, I wish more people would take care, take advantage of that, especially at that age. I mean, you know, one of the things that strikes me, and, and I warned you that later on I'm going to ask you some ra- rapid-fire questions, but one of them is, like, if you could go back into time, what advice would you give your younger self and I bet you nine times out of 10, it's, it's people telling me they wish they would have started earlier. I mean, and I, I don't know how, I don't know. I'm looking forward to hearing your answer because I don't know if you could go any earlier. I wish I bought more. I was too conservative in 2010, 11, 12, 13. And I did buy three in 2013, but I was moving recently and I went back and I found a notebook from 2011 where I would write down addresses and prices and seeing this 10 years later, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why didn't I buy more? So that was that's what I would go back in time and do. Yeah, wow. That's that's really neat. So if you don't mind, I was going to, like, we'll go through this this thread. Sure. And uh, just kind of touch on a few things. So your number one was, I invested like money was burning a hole in my pocket. 
And that one really struck me because everybody does the opposite. They spend the money. It's it's burning a hole in the pocket. And my way to invest while spending was I was flipping products. So I would still get the, the, I could go shop and I would go buy purses. I would go buy easy, inexpensive items to flip. And that was how I bought a lot of those properties in 2010, 11, 12. So I just, I wasn't directly investing into stocks. I was investing into my real estate. I bought one in 2004, one in 2005. And then when I moved to Dallas, I bought the first one in 2009. So it wasn't all just like boring stocks. I I would invest in inventory that I could resell. I would invest in um, my real estate, improving it. And I mean, that, that house that I bought in 2004 was a, almost a hundred year old duplex. So it needed everything. So every year when I would get a tax return or, or a bonus at work, it went to new floors, new furnace, new windows, you know, just everything. So it was always going right back into my real estate or into other ways to make money from it. So do you, you've mentioned that earlier that you, you also resell items. You still do that today? Very small scale compared to what I used to do. I used to do a ton per year. Um, but yes, I, I still have a, I'm sitting in my my eBay shop and mostly sell on eBay, have a very tiny presence on Amazon, but it has great years and then it has slow years and I'm not actively purchasing, but my inventory is still up. And uh, today we ran and shipped out three items at the post office before this. Sure. You know, that's, that's a lesson that I wish I would have learned and, or that I should have stuck with because it's funny you bring that up because when I was younger, like when I, you know, this would have been 20 years ago, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit when smartphones wasn't a thing, you know, it was the handheld devices like Palm pilots and, and a few other things. And, um, at one time I went to the dollar store and there was a end cap full of these little, uh, keyboards, that could be attached to the handspring, um, but it was a like a Palm Pilot, and uh, they were a dollar a piece. So I bought them all, and I sold them for like twenty bucks a piece on Amazon, and and that's how I bought my first Xbox. You know, like it, everything was in the wrong wrong direction. I should have used that money for more inventory or do something else with it, but I, that's what I wanted at the time. Um, but I should have used that as a lesson. Like maybe there's something here. <laughs> you know, there was- I didn't always reinvest. I like during college, I bought purses and that paid for my books for that semester. They were $1.50 purses right next to the register. I rolled the whole card up to the register, bought them all. And eBay didn't even have buy it now at the time. So I was selling them two at a time auction style, but I was turning $1.50 purses into 60 or $70 each week. And that paid for my books. So that was, yeah, that was the that- beginnings. Yeah. Well, and then you mentioned other, you know, item number two, you talk about college, you paid for college. I stayed employed full time through college. That's, that's something in itself because you also mentioned that you had to get a B or better and for the college reimbursement that was associated with your job, like that had to have been pretty challenging. I I only missed it one time. It was like the last semester and I got a C in the class and it was devastating because of the, the loss of, uh, reimbursement for that one. And I actually retook the class and I got an A the second time I did it. So I got reimbursed in the long run, but I, I had to take an extra credit and pay for the the one that I didn't get the B or better. So yeah, I uh, I took advantage of that. That was a great opportunity. I had worked at, at Gap since I was 16 and 
um, staying full-time employed gave you those, I think it was three classes a semester that they would reimburse you for at the end of each semester. And I didn't know who else was going to pay for school. So that was my, you know, I stayed employed full-time and I worked a lot of hours, but I, I made it work. Yeah. Well, do you, do you think, you know, I don't know how, how long have you been out of college now? Uh, I graduated in 2005, so I've been out for okay. seven, 17 years now. Sure. Do you think that would be still possible today? Uh, I know a lot of big companies in that to attract employees right now are, are doing something similar or certain mm-hmm. deals with colleges. So I think that it may be structured differently because I, I was the one that as soon as I graduated, I quit and I went to another company. Um, right. But I think that there's there's some parameters now. So you have to, you know, if they're going to do that, you have to stay with them for two years after you graduate or something. But I think that there's still opportunities like that out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So number three was I stopped listening to family members who said I was wasting time buying ugly houses. So you, there's yeah. got to be a story involved with that. I, I still get it. Sometimes I, I will walk uh, my parents through a property and I remember uh, they came down for a visit around a birthday and I was just purchasing one. And I I asked my mom to help me do tile in one of the bathrooms. And there was like a bunch of kids playing outside. And my dad's like, "Ah, I would walk away from this one. And there were several, like I bought a a crack house on eBay and he's like, (laughs) he's like, you're only 13,000 into this. He's like, I'm walking away from this if I'm you. And I'm, I'm, I'm the stubborn one that just sticks with it. And I put a lot of money into that house, way more than what I could have gotten back out of it originally. But I, I made that work and I will not buy another house on eBay. But yeah, they uh, I know that they see the value in it, but they can be very negative because it takes me getting it over the finish line to show them what the house could be versus what it is when I buy it. Yeah. You bought a house, a crack house on eBay. I did. It was auction.com fulfilled by eBay. It was an advertisement. I was at work. I knew the zip code real well. I didn't know the street. And that was my shortcoming because I lived in the zip code. So I'm like, oh, I know this. This is great. I texted my friend that was in town. She's like, yep, I'll drive by it as soon as I'm off work. Bidding started going and it was done before she got off work. And I had already won it by the time she drove by it. It was a $13,500 house that I probably paid maybe four or $5,000 too much for. Um, and I would never buy again, uh, knowing the streets now. And it's funny because I'll get DMs on on Twitter and people are asking me and they say that zip code and I instantly get fearful, but there's a it's a very diverse zip code and you have a very nice part and a very undeveloped area that is just hard to rent and hard to renovate and, and hard to find good tenants in. And that's where I bought my house. And tw- so, I think that was 2017 yeah. when I did that one. So what city was that in? Uh, Toledo, Ohio. Oh, okay. Are you? Do you experience, this is kind of a diversion here now, but do you? are there opportunity zones established in those areas now? Yes, and that was not one of them at the time. I believe it actually is now, but um, yeah, there there are around the city. Yeah, yes. that probably would have helped a lot in this case. but For sure. Yeah. So, okay, and then you went, I took on a part-time job and side-hustled. So was this now let's let's do the time frame here was this while you were still in college or now we're after after college and and now right you're after, a full-time job part-time job and a side hustle Yeah all three um so it was after college and between college and 
I just, I, and moving to Texas, I accumulated some debt and I didn't want 17,000 in credit card debt. I wanted to buy another house and mm-hmm. the bank's like, we're not going to give you any money if you have this debt. So I took a job at a, a another retail store in Texas and I'd get off at my full-time job and I'd go over there on, on Tuesdays and Sundays and Wednesdays were my days off and I would go over there and work and every check I remember, like you, I still got a check. I'd go to my bank and I'd cash it and I'd drive across the street to city and I'd hand them every single penny I made um, to get rid of that debt. Cause, and it took me about a year for 17,000, but I just didn't want to carry debt anymore. And I knew if I was going to grow this and, and really accelerate. So I'm probably, I don't know, 25 at the time. I, um, that's what it took. I mean, there's so many different side hustles now that looking back on it, I don't know that I'd want to go and work for $9 again at, at a discount retailer, but that's how I did it back then. And it worked and it dug me out. So, well, that's, that's just, you know, you got to forgive me. I just find this is just amazing that, you know, you earlier, you met, you're, you're the stubborn one, but there's there's a there's a mindset here that I, I think we need to take a minute and just just identify. I mean that I I don't know any 25 year old that I've ever met to be that stubborn or that focused. Is that does this come natural to you or what 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 happened to make you so focused on that? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just I'm paying this down no matter what. Mike grandfather and my father are both police officers. They're very strict, very, you know, this is how it is very black and white. And, um, I mean, I knew going into college that I was going to have to work full time if I was going to make college work. And, and I didn't get scholarships. I worked through high school and it was just kind of all of my siblings. It's kind of embedded in us that this, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to make it work and you need to not wait for someone else to fix your issues and I dug myself into the 17,000. I wanted a, a, this was the early 2000s. I wanted a DVD player. I wanted a flat screen TV. And I went and swiped and it would, you know, in 2008, the interest went crazy and um, on the credit cards and, or 2009. And I just, I didn't want to do that to myself anymore. And I, I hated that I had to come to Dallas and rent and I rented for a year. And that was the year that I worked there. And I wanted to get myself in a position that a bank would look at me as, as a great borrower. And that's what it took for that year. It's just, it's just amazing when, when somebody has that level of focus, what can be accomplished. And, you know, you said it took me a year, but frankly, that that's actually, that that's really quick. Definitely. Cause I was, I would do side, the eBay side hustles. I would help um, source merchandise. You know, I loved going out to the flea market when I would have a day off and I would see other vendors with great merchandise that were basically giving it away. So I'd buy that and I'd take it to a different vendor out there and say, hey, I've got these backpacks and they're only, you know, this much money. And, and you could flip products real easy uh, just by walking through a flea market and buying it from one and selling it to the other. Would you do that on the same day? Like you'd, you'd buy it on the flea market, wheel it down to the other end of the flea market and sell it to somebody else? I would try and do it on opposite weekends. So I'd buy it that Sunday and then go back the next Sunday with it and, and try and sell it. I wasn't that bad that I was doing it the same day. <laughs> no, it had to have been tempting. Definitely. So another thing you said, I bought a pack of business cards and you passed it out to everyone who, who would, ha- would take it. I did. They were little like 
Vista print $15 cards. I printed them with my, my business name, which is brick by brick. Um, not BY because Lego owns that. So I had to go BYE, but, um, I passed them out. And a lot of times when I'd get calls, I didn't have the ability to buy them, but I could usually point them in the right direction to, to sell. But I mean, just, uh, I passed out a card in 2019 and he called me this year and he's like, my dad has passed away. I don't want to be a landlord. Do you want this house? And it's a meticulously solid, well-kept little house. And I, I, we went back and forth with the price. And then he's like, you know, I really want this tenant in here at this price for the next two years. I'll give it to you. You know, I got it almost $10,000 less than what it should have been. So I, in order, and I agreed to keep the rent at what it was for two years for, um, and it's a great little solid, well-kept house. And I wouldn't have gotten that if I wouldn't have passed him a card in 2019. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things we do is, is we do direct mail in and, I am to this day surprised how often it happens where uh, we get a phone call from a mailing that we sent out years ago and somebody had held on to it. It was in their phone book or somebody passed away and they found it in the drawer or, or what happened. It happens more often than you would, you would think. Definitely. So the last point here is that key points. I did whatever it took to build wealth. I took advantage of every opportunity that came my way. And, you know, one of the things that uh, we, you know, everybody points to rich dad, poor dad, but in the core, it's talking about taking advantage of those opportunities as it, as they come up and frankly, putting your, your mind in that mindset of instead of how, am, how am I going to do it or, or can I do it? It's how can you do it? Um, it, it, it really feels like, and it sounds like that you really put your mind in that, in that kind of mindset, like just figure it out as you go. There's been so many deals that if I just thought with the one brain version, I could never have gotten. And one of my best deals was a house that was unlendable because it had a hole in the roof. Um, so I got creative and got a personal loan. One of my other deals I couldn't get any loans written on it. I went and got a HELOC on a paid off investment property. So I just, you know, I, I looked at what other, others were doing. There's others that are buying this. I, at the time I wasn't familiar with hard money, didn't want to go through all the steps of, of getting a hard money loan. So a personal loan could work and I applied for it and it was in my account the next day. And I'm like, bam, I'm ready to, I want this house. I want it in my portfolio. And now it's one of the best houses in my, in my portfolio. Um, value wise, it just keeps appreciating. Um, and if I just kind of looked at it with that one set of eyes, I it wouldn't be in my portfolio right now because it, it couldn't get a traditional loan. Right. So, you know, you talk about creative investing and you give you, that's a great example. Why do you think people have such a hard time with that creative thought or, or being able to put that type of there's, together? There's risk, together. The, the risk attached to it, you know, that personal loan was, uh, I think it was like $900 a month I had to pay on it. And that, you know, if this goes terrible, if the, you know, depending on how the renovations go, I'm on the hook for that $900. So there's a risk, a level of risk that comes with it. And people get stuck on that. And people are afraid of the unknowns and buying that house. That was a hoarder house. I've bought a crack house. I've bought a hoarder house. I've bought a abandoned retail space. Um, there's lots of unknowns and that's one thing that scares people. You know, I earlier today went through a couple houses here and, and as we're looking at them, there's a lot of opportunities, 
and I'm in Dallas right now, but there's a lot of, you know, I was with two other investors and they're like, eh, I don't know if this is, you know, how is the roof going to fail soon? And those are the things that I don't know. I've just gone head, head forward and dive right in. And I mean, I bought condos in the 2010 through 15 and I flipped those into single family houses and I just, I'll figure it out. And that's always kind of been my, my go-to on it is just, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work and we'll get it fixed. So, you know, a lot of people that come on the show also talk about the importance of mentorship and getting some training, but at the age that you started this out, it seems like you did, you kind of just figured it out as you went, unless I'm missing something there. Did you have any kind of mentorship or do you think it's overrated or? I I don't think it's overrated. And I do think that I'd still be at my nine to five job if I didn't pull some mentors from Twitter that I re- that really motivated me that gave, you know, I tried to quit my job in 2019. I was ready. I regret taking back my notice. I regret staying with them up till January of 2022. But, um, and I wouldn't have done that without the mentors, without my, my network that I built up. Um, I didn't have mentors early on, but I had friends that could resurface bathtubs. I had friends that did HVAC. I had friends that did tile. So having that in my pocket helped me because I could make a a $13,000 condo look like a million bucks, get all the clearance tile at Lowe's and, and really turn out a place nice by resurfacing, by, by adding in fancy tile, by putting some Bluetooth speaker bulbs up in the ceiling. And that was kind of what I, that was my strength. I, I had HVAC, I had tile, I had resurfacing and that's what my, my, houses had then was was resurfaced was tiled nicely and and had a good working hvac which in texas that's the number one thing that people want is that air conditioning cranking right so now that you've made that progress and you 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 finally quit your nine to five job what advice do you have for people who are thinking about making that type of leap what should what should they do to prepare for that final decision I think we're in a great spot where by the end of the year, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities and house hack is, is the way that I built wealth. If I didn't do this house hacking, which I didn't even call it house hacking when I was doing it, I rented out one lived in the other. And when I was in Dallas, I had a two bedroom, two bath condo and I rented out the other, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So I think looking, exploring other options, and this is where some people get stuck is they want to be at the the best spot at the beginning, but I look at, okay, if I go to this C class, I can trade it up to a B class and then I can get to that best spot along the way. It's just going to take me a couple of years to get there, but I can certainly get there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, this was a, you know, I like to share this because it, it, it helped me anyway, when, because sometimes people get so focused on their dream goals, you know, we, we all in a lot of the stuff I would have said was a bunch of hokum about 10 years ago. If you bought dream boards and, and journaling and all that junk, I would have, I would have said it's a bunch of hooey. But one thing I did do was I, I started to, I took account of all of the expenses that I have. And then every time I got a rental property, I was able to subtract like that, that cash flow from, from what I, those expenditures. So when that hit zero, I know that, okay, I got my expenses covered. You know, it was just a way for me to, and I had that pinned to my bathroom mirror. So I'm constant, I was constantly reminded of it. 
when I got to door five, that's when I'm like, oh my gosh, I can actually make money doing this. And it took me, I had a dud in 2005 and I carried that thing from 2005 to 2015. When I sold it, I was, I lost $22,000. I lost money on it every year. I owned it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got to door number five, I'm like, holy crap, I am actually making some money doing this. And this is growing and this is getting easier. And, and then I have systems in place. So yeah, I think, uh, having a long-term vision and a vision board is, is important. So, you know, you know, that's one of the questions I ask when I do coaching is what's your goal with this? What do you want to do with this? Do you just want to own a property? Do you want to build wealth with it? Do you want to turn this into a hands-on or a passive income? Like, what is it that you want to do? And, and, it's crazy some of the answers I get from people when I ask them that question. Cause you know, you got to go into it knowing where you want to go with it. Sure. So, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier, you, you stopped listening to your friends and family. They're saying, you know, you're crazy, but <clears throat> have you had any friends and family now go, well, kind of acknowledge that you were right all along? Always, always. <laughs> now, I mean, they, it, it's, 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 comes up a lot yes um and i i all of my siblings are are homeowners they understand the value in it they understand it's a way to build wealth they they, like me buy buy fixers usually they don't buy turnkey properties but they definitely see that there's you know this is a way to continue to to grow wealth and stability and yes it takes upkeep upkeep but they they understand well, since you've been doing this for a while now, you probably have uh, uh, at least one story of let's let's tackle it. The the biggest mistake you made in your business, and what did you learn from it? Uh, it it's not the crack house. It's the 2005 purchase, and that was just I was 22 years old. I was cocky. I went to a bank with no down payment, and they're like, "We'll give you the keys to this house." And um, I had no business and I had no plan and I had no emergency fund because I had spent it all in the other house. So I got this house and I lost money on it every year. And I was excited. It closed on my birthday in 2015 when I sold it. And I was excited to write that check and have it out of my out of my I stuck with it for 10 years trying to rebound. I know I'd actually make a profit if I still held it today. But I um, had no business buying that because I had no emergency fund and I had no plan. You know, and, and it probably was a big relief off of your mind. Like how might, how speak to like the mental cycles that might've saved you just getting rid of that. I, I struck, I didn't have a team in Cleveland, Ohio. This is a different market. And that's why I've stuck in my Dallas and my Toledo, Ohio, because I have people that I can lean on. And there was so much that went to it from having to do evictions. Couldn't find, couldn't collect rent, couldn't get people to go do work at the house. It was just one thing after another, after another. And yes, mentally, when I got to write that check, that final check, I knew that it was done. It was like a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. I, I can imagine. So, well, you know, I, I really appreciate your time here, Tom. Like I said, your your thread really caught my eye, and 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 you were recommended to me by a, a couple of acquaintances. Um, again, I'm going to remind everybody: head over to thefrugalgay.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But I kind of warned you at the top of the before we hit record that it was coming. Are you ready for some rapid fire? Let's go for it. So let's start things off. As I warned you, you can't say the the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. But what other book would you recommend if somebody is looking to get into real estate investing? 
so it's not really real estate, but I, the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss, I, I liked it. I've listened to it over and over. I bought it on audible and, and it's one of those that stuck with me and, and motivated me and just kind of kept me going. Yep. I have a, the revised, I've read the original. I got the revised edition over my shoulder. I had to get the, the updated version when that came out. Great. That's a great book. So uh, what is the one piece of business, the worst piece of business advice you've ever received? Um, It's probably attached to uh, that 2005 purchase. It just, I didn't do any kind of inspection. I didn't, I just wrote a deal because it was in the right spot and I should have never bought that. And then there's a couple that I, you know, have taken over to to my family set of eyes and they're like, I wouldn't buy that. And then you go back and you regret not buying it and listening to them and you see, you know, hey, this is a $800,000 property now. Um, so I think just those two things, I've, I've passed on some good stuff along the way. And buying that one in 2005 was a, a money pit from start to finish. What's the worst piece of business advice you've ever received? foregoing the inspection to save $400. I mean, I, I had that come out of a, a realtor's mouth one time and I don't, it, it depends on the property and the price point, but I'm not buying it without just getting it inspected. And I mean, there's been so many duds and, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this was done like this and this was covered up. And my first property I bought that duplex, I didn't do an inspection. It was very clean, very nice. And Sure enough, a few few weeks after we closed, I mean, I had water in the basement and obviously they had just painted the basement walls right before listing and it looked pretty, but it was um, definitely an issue for years that was covered up and I didn't do an inspection and I was the one that got to deal with it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to repeat that. And it actually causes, we've gotten kind of a, a bit of a workflow when we get an inspection as well, because we get an inspection for not only just to just to check on some things, but we might get an expression. So, and it actually creates our tasks list when we tackle the project, because then we know what the inspector is probably going to be looking at when we sell it. So it's, it's just a way to knock some things off and have a, I, an extra set of eyes. I just made my task. Li- I got an inspection, but I've got number 20 under contract and I just got it back last night. And that was exactly what I did with it, it was, these are my, my top 10 things that I need to do on, on this one. You had, it sounds like you have multiple projects going at any given time. Is there any kind of software that you use to help manage all this? I mean, I use a very outdated version of Quick uh, Quicken Rental Manager. Back when they used to do it, it's a outdated QuickBooks. But, um, and I, I've used Stessa to, to track, sure. track stuff. But no, I don't have a, a super exciting spreadsheet or any of that for, I'm not fancy. <laughs> you know, that, that Hey, wh- whatever works. Right. I had, I had a, a person who on the show, this was a while ago, but he, he did wholesaling. And I said, Oh, I asked him a similar question. What do you do use for your CRM? And he, he picked up one of those xylophone 31 day envelope folders. And then it's like, here it is. And he just, he just, he writes everything on paper and when he has to follow up with somebody two days later, he puts it two days in advance. And whatever is on that date, he pulls it out, and that's what he has to do that day. It, it's talking about keeping it simple. Man, it, I couldn't deny that I, that would makes a lot of sense, and it, it worked for him. Definitely. 
So um, if you could give your younger self, uh, like what is the one thing you wish you would have known before you started? Um, before I got really into it, I had, I applied for this loan in 2009 uh, for my first property in Dallas. And it was such a traumatic experience from what I applied for in 2004 and 2005 because of the financial crisis um, that I let that scare me um, to taking on debt and building, you know, my portfolio up a lot more aggressive with a lot more doors early on. And that experience cost me a lot because I look back at the things that I passed on because I didn't have the right debt or I didn't have the right Mm -hmm. um, money. And that is something, you know, I look back 10 years ago and I'd be in a whole different league if I wasn't so afraid by that 2009 experience, because it just turned me off to, you know, when I was buying stuff, I was going in with cash and I was fixing it with cash and I was just not leveraging in any way. So I had a lot of paid off properties, but um, I wish I could go back and, and redo it and not be afraid of some of these creative ways of, of doing financing early on. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, that's some great advice. Well, uh, Tom, is there a question or concept that you wish we would have covered here tonight? I think I think we covered the the all the good stuff. Um, I mean, the, the, there's so many ways to get into it, and you just have to go in with a plan. And that's one thing when I'm talking with people and they're doing coaching and they they want to use their whole emergency fund as a down payment. Um, I, I can't stress to you, please don't do that because I did it and I failed terribly, and I don't want you to do that as well. Um, so I think you covered everything else, though. Okay. Well, again, one last time, find uh, Tom on Twitter at the frugal gay 11. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, but more importantly, check out his website, the frugal gay.com. Tom, thank you so much for being on. And, and this is genuine. If you, you have an open invite, I hope you'll take me up on that and come back sometime. Definitely. Thank you for having me. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.